Let's pray that the Lord's Word would be a blessing to us. Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake tonight that we would take joy in being able to receive Your Word and the truths. Uh, it's a special time when Your Word is ministered. It's a special time for us to be in worship with You. And we would ask that as we recognize what a privilege it is for us to be in your presence, that we'd also see the privilege of being able to receive your word as you've given it to us, so that it might enlighten us, and Lord, also that it would, it would cause us to return thanks to you uh, in the ways to which you've called us, even in the ways you've called us to be obedient, obedient in light of your grace to us, and grateful in light of your presence or your, your greatness, your gospel to us. And so, take may we take joy in this hour as we respond to your word, as we hear it, as it's ministered to us, and that your name might be exalted. May that happen in in all facets of this moment. We pray that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're picking up the Word of God and looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26 tonight, which is, of course, part of the Sermon of the Mount and speaks to us about anger and murder and all of that being very pertinent to the subject at hand, which is the Sixth Commandment, as we're dealing with the Ten Commandments and looking at those commandments and uh, in a grateful manner, as we think about the grace that the Lord has shown us, given the guilt that was ours to know in, uh, in our sinful state, uh, but be able to, to take joy in Christ and God and the Spirit's grace that way, but also then to respond in a life worthy of the gospel, including how we uh, respond in the, according to the Sixth Commandment. So we're going to be looking at that tonight in Lord's Day 40. Questions uh, 105, 106, and 107 on page 53 in the back of the Blue Psalter Hymnal. We'll first of all read from the Word of God, though, from Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Again, these words shed light on <clears throat> the confession that we make our understanding of how we ought to live, to be sure. And we look at Lord's Day 40 as we hear an exposition here about what God's will is for us in the Sixth Commandment. So we look at question 105 to that end, and the answer is, I am not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. 
not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I'm not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire or revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Question 106 asks, does this commandment refer only to killing? The answer is by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. Is it enough then that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. So goes the answer. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. To be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him. To protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. May God bless this word that we've received in the truths of God's word tonight. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's easy uh, to think that when you look at the Sixth Commandment, and if I was one of the boys and girls here tonight, I'd be thinking this. I know when I was your age, this is how I would think when I got to the Sixth Commandment. I say, there's one that I can find and I'm really good at. Because I haven't killed anybody. That's not something everybody does anyway. The act of physically killing something, somebody is, is not something that everybody does. So it's easy to look at this commandment when you look at it very superficially. And when we're young, uh, and think, well, this one I might get a pass at. But then we read the Bible and we understand things better. As our Savior reminds us, uh, as is true about all the commandments, to some extent or another, there's more than meets the eye. And murder is more than what meets the eye. Uh, we have to dig to the, the root of murder to see more of what it is. Uh, we must dig to that root to see its various... Ex well, we not only have to do that, but we also have to see its external forms. And then we have to see to it that we don't just see the negative side of the commandment, but we see the positive side of the commandment, and that there's this need for us, as the scriptures so often tell us anyway, about putting off and putting on, that we need to exchange this these external forms, and the root of murder with a life-promoting love. And to do that for the sake of Jesus Christ, to be lights in the world, salt to the earth, uh, to do so uh, for the sake of the Savior of ours, who is the way and the truth and the life. Be like him. The scripture calls us to that, and re in response this is what we confess is our calling when we're called to make our lives different. Thankful. Lives that promote and reflect God's own love for us in Jesus Christ who brought us out of death and into life. 
So we're going to be looking, first of all, as we ask this question, or as we see this statement, that more, murder is more than meets the eye, we see that, first of all, when we consider its root, right? I mean, if, you, if you're out gardening today, or not today, but if you're out, <laughs> if you're out gardening and you're planting certain plants, sometimes all you see is the tops of the plants. But, you know, we know how that is with certain vegetables. They're, what the real health of that vegetable might be is something that we find below the surface. And until we're able to see that, we haven't really seen the whole picture. And that's true with the, when we're talking about murder as well. When we hear that commandment that says, do not kill. Jesus says that you've heard it said that murder should be punished. Uh, but I say to you that murder is more than the physical act. Uh, we have to get to the root of it. And that very root is something that's punishable as well as our passage reminds us. If one thinks that just because one hasn't ever murdered someone physically, that such a person is, is not worthy of condemnation, uh, or a violation of the Sixth Commandment, then we're deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. Uh, our righteousness is called to a higher standard than that, a deeper one, uh, one that gets to the source of the issue, the source of the problem. Because Jesus speaks to us here about one of the sources. speaks about anger. speaks about hateful anger. When we think about the roots of murder, the Heidelberg Catechism mentions hatred, uh, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. All of them start from within. And they work their way out. James calls them the passions that are at war within you. Peter, as we oftentimes mention, calls them passions of the flesh which war against your soul. They start from within. The sinful passions are those which have this strength and this fervency and this intensity and this longing about them that, that persist. And they're stubborn. Anger, after all, is a strong displeasure. It's an annoyance. It's a hostility towards another. That starts from within. Scripture says that everybody who hates his brother is a murderer, and that you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Well, hatred carries that intense hostility. It doesn't leave any room to do good to another. Envy, of course, conveys a strong sense of discontentment. It's aroused by somebody else's profit, somebody else's success. Or, or some other sort of gain that this person has come to know. Vindictiveness. It's a strong desire again, isn't it? To get back at somebody, of, of taking vengeance on somebody and, who has done us ill. And these desires arise from the heart and, and they long to be satisfied like an appetite. You know, some of the boys and girls here today, or somebody else, doesn't matter, and there'd be a boring girl, maybe right after church is over, spend a little time visiting with everybody, you go home, you're going to have something to eat. Because you want to have your appetite satisfied. 
You're looking for that. And you're just not going to feel right unless that happens. Unless you have that satiation. Unless you have that, that fullness or that fullness. Well, these negative appetites come to the surface and they're looking for satisfaction. And they are the beginnings of murder. They're the seedlings. And, and, they, and in some cases, they might lead to that. But they don't have to go there to be violations of the Sixth Commandment. They don't have to go that far to be murderous. But they're the catalysts or the engines to, to murderous acts that come in even more forms than just the full-blown act of taking the life of another. Such are the deadly seeds in the ground of our hearts that lead to destructive acts on the outside. Uh, they're, they're more indicative of a life, you see, that remains in death than one who has passed out of death into life that Jesus gives. They're destructive by nature and they are so strong that the Scriptures speak about them like they're warring against us, like some great enemy. That's militantly against us. How do such seeds get planted? Well, envy, of course, comes our way when we're not happy with how God is treating us. And instead of rejoicing with others in their joys, we, we resent them. We resent them. And we resent God. Instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, we We'd rather be adversarial. Someone has more money and can do more than I can. They can go places I can't. They can buy things that I can't. And, and we resent that. We resent the fact that we can't or we don't have those things. Somebody else supposedly doesn't have it as hard as we do. And we resent that we have it worse. And bitterness can set in. And before you know it, the inner desires are making themselves known, and they're looking for satisfaction. And they're finding it on the outside. Of course, envy is a response to what others have. Vindictiveness is a response to what others have done to us, or haven't done to us. Someone treated me poorly. Someone didn't do what I wanted them to do. So, either way, whether it's something of omission, or if it's commission, I'm going to pay them back I, in, in different ways, but I'm going to do it. I, I, I'm, I'll get them back somehow. Maybe it's going to be something that's plotted over time. It's premeditated, and it's just, I've got my plan worked out, and when I'm ready to, to hatch that plan, I'm going to do it. Or maybe I'm going to hatch that plan over time, and it's, I'm just going to hang on to it. I'm just going to carry it out bit by bit, day by day, and they're going to feel it. Or maybe it's going to be something immediate, instantaneously. But I'm going to have my satisfaction. Hatred will do no good to another. In fact, it'll act in hostility, but not necessarily because Somebody has done something against us. Oh yeah, there's times where we calculate, we can be cool, 
coolly calculating and trying to figure out how we can give back as has we been have, as we have been given. But sometimes we don't need a reason. Do it. Jesus Christ was hated without a cause. If there was somebody who didn't deserve to be hated, it was Jesus Christ. Now, people can come up with reasons to hate us because we're sinners and we don't do things perfectly. We don't judge perfectly. We don't act perfectly. We don't do everything. We don't say everything perfectly. So we can hang on to those things that we don't do perfectly or somebody else doesn't do perfectly and we can hang on to that. And say, there's our reason. But sometimes people don't need a reason. They didn't need it with Jesus. They didn't have a reason with Jesus. It didn't matter. They hated him anyway, but that's sin for you, you see. That's why we needed a Savior so badly. And that way, hatred can be so, so foolish. But yes, sometimes we, we, we hate somebody without any reason. We can hate because we, don't, we, we just don't like certain kind of people. We don't like what they look like. We, we don't like where they're from. They may be viewed as an inconvenience. They cramp our style. We see that with the unborn. No reason to hate the unborn. But, except, well, they're cramping our style. They're causing us to be accountable. But, but hatred can be just such so that we're, 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 we're willing to avoid people or shun them or we may even go as far as to destroy them or, or what they stand for or, or what they've done. And we don't have to have a reason. You know, when we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor, what we end up doing, if that's the state in which we find ourselves, it could be that we see this promotion of a culture of death. We're not satisfied. It's not enough that we hate. But we want our hatred to be viewed as culturally sound, as legitimate, as, as an honorable way to live. When we hate God's way, ways, we're in death, and, and it shouldn't surprise us that that promotes death and destruction. We haven't passed into life through Christ. And when we hate God's way, we're in death and and we haven't passed into life and it shows in how we act. Hatred for God's institutions that he establishes results in death and destruction that become hallmarks of, of those who promote them in our culture. The spirit behind abortion and the spirit behind youth in Asia and the spirit behind uh, our attacks on marriage and all the ways in which that, that institution is attacked. If you leave those unchecked, they'd lead to the death of humanity as we know it. You know, such hatred promotes a death culture. It's a hatred toward God that plays itself out into a culture of death into our world. No wonder that the scriptures would say, whoever does not love abides in death. People like to talk about how they're loving when they're allowing people to do whatever they want to do. 
But when we see where that leads to death, you see that that's not loving at all. It all starts in the heart. And the quicker we discover that, the quicker we can seek to be at battle against it because it starts to take shape then, and that's our second point, in external forms. Our passage speaks of some of those external forms. It doesn't speak of all of them, of course, but some. Right? Murder isn't just a physical abuse that can take place, but, but also that of the verbal, uh, the verbal variety. We hear about that here. We're calling people names, calling people fools. Yeah. Who's angry and is liable, whoever insults his brother. You know, that's with the mouth. Whoever says you fool, fool, there's a liability there. Bonds get destroyed by verbal abuse. Well, they can get it destroyed by physical abuse, but they certainly get destroyed by verbal abuse. You know, this whole idea that sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, it's nonsense. If you've ever been the recipient of that kind of verbal abuse, you know that it hurts. Our tongue can be a razor. And it can cut a person to ribbons. Better to say nothing than to Speak in those ways. It's, 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 a, it's a form of belittling. It's maybe the biggest form of belittling. Because we may not be able to cut them down to size physically, but we sure can when we're using our mouth wrong. And it's often a form of lying, of course, which gets us to the ninth commandment. But in our passage, Jesus speaks of those who would, in essence, call others blockheads, empty heads, but... But that's but an example of the many ways that people can treat people unfairly. See, you know, if we don't want to lose an argument, you see that in, your, in society all the time, right? If you can't win the argument, then people will just simply give up, and, and, or instead of losing it, they just resort to name-calling, where you're a bigot, you're old-fashioned, you're a clown, you're an idiot. Or people will say things even more vulgar. They can't win the argument, not really. And so they figured if you can't beat them, then we'll just beat them up. And not necessarily physically, but with words. It's always foolish, but we do it. You know, I talk about that sometimes when we're with... uh, couples that are going to get married, I say, you know, one of the things when you're speaking the truth, one of the ways you want to try to win an argument is by trying to hyperbolize. You know what hyperbole is, right? It's when you're exaggerating. And you tell people that they're always like this, or they're always like that. You know? You never put your clothes away. Never? Absolutely never? Perfect score? Imperfect score? 100%? You never do that? You never pick up your clothes. You never put the dishes away. Well, that's, that's a way for us to win, you see. We can look at the person. We try to look at the person that's before us as, 
as the Antichrist, as it were. Right? The greatest sinner who ever set foot on the earth. Because that belittling helps us to puff ourselves up so that we might look as, as pristine as the wind-driven snow in contrast to our opponent, who's actually supposed to be the person that we're supposed to be getting along with. Uh, we're lying for ourselves. We slander. We don't speak the truth in love. Or we can speak, but it's not to be constructive and it's not to be reconciliatory, uh, uh, but merely to win. To beat down the other. Maybe it's in the, the, the loudness that we use, the decibel manner in which we carry that out. We just yell ourselves, our opponent down. Or worse yet, worse yet to put people in their place so that, that they can be found at a lower level than we are. And it doesn't matter. what. It's, it's not important whether you, you destroy this person's confidence or his character. That's not important. And, and the truth isn't important. It's that we come away being the superior. That we look the wiser. That we're the victor. Because that's what matters. We can find ourselves insulting people because they look different than we do. Or they don't do as well as we do. And we might find ourselves giving somebody a dirty look for something done to us that may have been done graciously. Dirty looks and dirty gestures, they're, they're all form of destructive behavior and all forms of murder. And they're not only destructive forms of murder, of course, we can find ourselves refusing to talk to anyone anymore for no good reason. We can be merciless and, and we lack grace and, and then we compound them with sins of cruelty and rudeness or vengeance. And we see somebody walking down the street and we cross the street to avoid them. I mean, I've heard of such things that happen. That people see somebody coming and they just go, I'm... I don't even want to cross paths with that person, so I'm going to walk over here. Really? When the opportunity arises that we can be of help to somebody, we let the opportunity pass because we don't want to be bothered. We've got other things to do. Let somebody else pitch in. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else get involved. Those people like to be involved. It lends itself to a destructive way of life. It's murderous at its root. Brutally, we may even find ourselves abusing another, even one close to us in our family, physically just because we're stronger or because of some sort of leverage we have on somebody else. And then we abuse the powers that God has given to us. It's all murder, some sort or another. It rises out of envy and anger and hatred and vindictiveness and a spirit of bitterness. Such deadly and destructive behavior is to be put to death in the life of God's people who have confessed. They said they've passed from death to life unto love. 
Jesus speaks of that kind of spirit, doesn't he, in our passage. Don't, he says, don't talk to me about how you love God whom you cannot see if you can't even love your brother whom you can see. Leave your gift of worship to God and, and get to the business of reconciliation. Destructive behavior is easy to pursue. That's, that's so easy. Right? You ask any contractor here, what's the easier thing to do? Knocking down the building or putting the new one up? I know if they were going to use me, they wouldn't use me to be constructing the building. They'd say, hey, here's a sledgehammer. We know you can at least do that. Because destroying is easier than to build up. Constructive behavior requires prayer and, and the power of the Spirit in our lives and a deep recognition of God's love for us in Christ and what He had to do to reconcile Himself to us. He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Christ says if somebody has something against you, far as it depends on you, go and get that matter reconciled. He doesn't care if you're the cause of it or the other person's the cause of it. You know, we should make it our Christian business not to be at odds with one another, but to be reconciled to one another in Christ. Such fruitful, constructive life, promoting love is really the third point here. It comes in other forms for us as well as those who have passed from death to life. Many of the fruit of the Spirit are mentioned in our Christian confession that are constructive. They're life-promoting, right? Patience, peace-loving, gentility, mercy, doing good. Because knocking other people around is easy. That, that just doesn't take anything. It's an easy thing to do. But looking out for their welfare, that takes a whole lot more effort. And we're called then to a gracious spirit, a forgiving spirit, to look out for the good of those we know or even don't know, and also to protect the weak and the helpless. Speaking a good word to others with whom we come in contact is a productive way of living. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with another, with another is as good a word as, as we could utter. We may find it hard to love our enemies or those we find repulsive. And yet we remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and continues to intercede for us, sinners that we have remained to be. Let's not think that because we are close to our families, we have the right to run them into the ground verbally. We have to do the opposite. We must do the same within the family of faith. Instead of thinking of all the reasons and all the ways that we don't like somebody, we have to strive at reflecting how the Lord deals with us as we deal with them. And to remember that you're thankful to God that he didn't deal with you, and I'm thankful to God that he didn't deal with me as my sins deserve. So let's look out for the good of those we know and don't know. Let's, let's strive to protect the weak and the helpless. Let's do this for the sake of the relationship that we have for God or with God in Jesus Christ. God has made those relationships that we have with others precious and not disposable. 
Easy come, easy go. Now let's promote them, and in doing so, let's promote them with a kind of productive kind of love that builds instead of tears, sweetens instead of embitters, and draws us closer together rather than farther apart. Because that's our calling. That's our divine calling when we've known the life-producing love of God in our heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. Such is a calling as those who confess that we've passed out from death to life in Jesus Christ. Such is our calling when we see as did our Savior that murder is more than meets the eye. Amen. Let's respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us in your word that our callings to be those who show that we have been have passed out from death to life are more than skin deep. We, we think about the things that must be purged from our lives, the, the roots of the problems that the Sixth Commandments, uh, disobedience, shows, anger, envy, hatred, vindictiveness, all the different forms in which it's found, not, not just physically, verbally, just the attitude and the actions that, that arise as we seek to satisfy these evil appetites and these passions. Uh, we have a world already out there, Father, that which we are a part in that calls us to follow in a way of a death culture. And we don't need to be contributing to that. Especially not, Lord, certainly not, when we have confessed that you have brought us out of darkness into light. You've brought us out of death into life. So may we find in our lives, while it's easy to just speak a bad word or knock somebody around one way or another, belittle, hyperbolize and, and wanting to just win rather than to be true and loving. We pray instead in truth, Lord, that we would seek to live in a way that, that promotes life, promotes the welfare of other people. And we'd ask that that would show forth, Lord, in, in all kinds of ways, in the opposite direction that hatred and vindictiveness and envy and all the rest would seek to exercise. May we do so, Lord, for the sake of how you have dealt with us and how your son even gave of his life so that we might have life, who continues to live so that we might live. May you grant us, Lord, then a Christ-like attitude that arises from Christ's Christian faith. We'd ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name.